All right, well, this is the last Sunday of the year, and um, it's pretty exciting. I know some of us here at the church, we've been doing the Bible through a year plan, and each day, or maybe uh, every three days, you get up and read the readings uh, uh, from the Scripture, and by the end of the year, you've made your way all the way through the Bible. It's a great thing to do. We've done the last three years here at Grace Church. Now, in the coming year, we actually are going to do things a little bit different. In two weeks, right after the worship service, we're going to have an informational meeting, and we're going to share with you um, devotionals, various different types of uh, instructional books that allow you to each day spend time in Scripture, meditating upon it, understanding it, chewing on it, bringing it into your life. We're going to have various things that you can use, things from books to uh, pamphlets to online apps and all kinds of various things for adults and for teenagers and for children, for, for families to do devotionals together. We really feel it's important for us as the people of God to be spending time meditating upon the Word of God. And so that's what we have coming. So I hope you're excited about that. And I hope in two weeks you'll stick around afterwards and find out just perhaps what you could be using in your life to spend more time meditating upon the Word of God. Now, with this in mind, I thought it would be good to maybe preach on Psalm 1. It's a, it's a psalm that helps us to see the value of knowing the Word of God, for in God's Word there is happiness for God's people. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1 or follow along in the bulletin as it's printed there as well. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his ways, if we want to know happiness, uh, we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word uh, summarizes and tells us and instructs us where happiness is found. It is found in you. There's a blessedness in life that comes from meditating upon your word that you have given to us. I pray that in this hour as we consider this text that you would fill us with your spirit, that we may comprehend more fully the gift that you have given us in the, in the word before us as well as the gift you've given us in your son, the word of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in three days, we enter into a new year. The doors to 2013 will be forever shut. And then the doors for the coming year, 2014, will be swung wide open with eager expectation. You know, there's, there's something about a new year that just kind of fosters optimism. You know, maybe, maybe this is the year when everything falls into place. Maybe this would be the year that my ship sets sail. And I think at the center of this is, is a desire within all of us, a God-given desire for, for happiness. 
Now, if you are young here today, so some of you are, perhaps that fire for, uh, for happiness and eagerness for the coming year is burning full flame. Uh, you've been told that the world is yours. Go get it. Anything you want, you can have. And so perhaps, perhaps naively, uh, you feel as if just happiness is just yours for the taking. Now, if you've reached the age where Axe body spray is no longer your go-to deodorant, <laughs> chances are uh, you've come to realize that, that happiness tends to be out of one's reach. It seems to be quite elusive. And, and that's because much of life is tragedy. You know, happiness seems to be within your reach, but then the boyfriend dumps you and well, then you get him back, and then he, he dumps you again, or, or the boss passes you over for promotion, or your investments um, backfire. And so one reaction is to, is to lose any sense of hope for a, a perfect happiness, and people tend to lower their expectations. Maybe this is you here this morning. But this psalm teaches us something. And I hope the first thing that we see from this psalm is this. It teaches us that happiness is possible. We see this, the psalm starts with the words, blessed is the man. Now, in the original Hebrew, the word is ashri. And the word ashri means a blessedness or a, or a happiness that, that flows from a sense of well-being or, or rightness. And so we can properly translate this as happy. Happy is the man. And that's good news for us. It's good news to know that in this broken world there is happiness to be found. Now, I know it might be hard for some people to wrap their heads around this, but God is happy. He is full of Happiness. He is supremely happy. The Bible teaches us that at God's right hand are pleasures evermore. What I hope we see is, is God just doesn't epitomize happiness. He is the fountainhead from which happiness flows. This psalm tells us that our happiness is inextricably linked to the word of God. Verse 2 tells us that, that the happy man is one whose delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, the usage of this phrase, law of the Lord, um, isn't to be restricted to just the Ten Commandments or even to the first five books of the Old Testament. In this particular instance, it refers to all of God's revelation that has been given to us in his scriptures. So what we need to see is that God has given us his word, and his word has a powerful effect upon us, upon those who receive it by faith. This morning we're going to see that, that the Word of God makes us happy. First, because it turns us towards Christ. Second, because it makes us like Christ. And third, because it takes us to Christ. First, the Word of God makes us happy because it turns us towards Christ. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 teaches us in a negative way. It tells us what to avoid. It says, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of of the wicked. Now, you know, from an early age on, we, we've come to realize we do not like to be instructed negatively. You know, our parents tell us, don't whine, you know, don't lie, don't chew with your mouth full, you know, dinner's at six, don't be late. We don't like to be told what not to do or what to avoid. 
This week I, I saw this firsthand. We were in the city, we're on the Upper West Side, and we're getting into our car, and we saw a gentleman trying to load a bunch of luggage into his minivan, and his boy was standing on the sidewalk. He was, he was standing in that little patch of grass. You know that patch of grass, the one that says, curb your dog. Uh, the, one, um, the one that's in the middle of the sidewalk and has, usually has a tree growing out of it. You know that one, the one where all the dogs in the neighborhood go and, and do their business, right? The boy was jumping in jumping around on that little patch of grass. And his dad says, his dad says, get out of there. Move away. Get away. And the boy loudly says, no. He said, son, get out of there right now. No. Finally, the boy gets out. Then he starts to walk into the road. His father says, stay on the curb. Don't come into the street. Don't come into the street. It was only because his mother grabbed him by the coat did he not enter into the busy street. You know, caring parents tell their kids what to avoid. And if kids would but obey, if we would but obey, um, we would perhaps find that it leads to happiness. And because God's word is his word to his children, the Bible is kind of like a caring father. It understands us better than, than we do. It knows what's best for us. And, and so the Bible instructs us negatively um, because it's, it knows what's good for us. So in these verses, we see that, that the happy man is one who avoids a certain way of life. And we see it in there's three different things, three different verbs that are used here. One is walk, the other is stand, and the third one is sit. Happy is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, all three of these verbs are in the past tense, and that means that this is a a regular, habitual activity that's going on here. Happy is a man who doesn't make a habit of of standing or sitting, uh, walking or standing or sitting with the wicked and sinners and, and, and scoffers. Now, did you pick up on the progression? It went from walking to standing still, to being seated. There's a progression going on here. You know, no one begins life a greedy miser. No one begins life as a liar and a cheat. Uh, No one begins life as an insensitive prig. No one begins life this way. But there is always a progression away from God and from from His happiness for us in, in Christ. And so verse 1 begins with talking about walking, walking in the counsel of the wicked. Now the Hebrew word here is a word that it's translated, it, it, it means um, to be found guilty of a crime. And it's true that every, every, um, everyone who stands in God's presence, there's, there's one of two options. You either stand in his presence guilty or not guilty. Verse 6 says that there are those who are wicked and then there are those who are righteous. So the, the psalm says, describes a happy man as one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. This means that he does not, he's not one who listens to the godless chatter in the world. He doesn't get led astray by it. He doesn't listen to the so-called worldly wisdom. Uh, and worldly wisdom need not be overtly godless. You just look at just the TV commercials and what they try to promote for you. You know, television uh, commercials like to stroke your ego and, and tell you just where happiness is to be found. It tells you you deserve a luxury car, you know. Uh, it tells you that life is really all about saving for that five-star retirement where you can own your own vineyard or a surf shop, you know. So worldly wisdom need not be overtly 
um, godless. But it really numbs you to really who you are, what life is about, where happiness truly flows from. And so the psalmist here says, be very careful who you listen to. Avoid the godless chatter that leads you away from happiness. The progression, though, gets entrenched. It goes from walking to to sitting. It's a progression from thinking to behaving. In the word sinners here, uh, it says, happy is a man who does not stand in the way of sinners. The word sinners refers to men or women who are, who are accustomed to sin. This is part of their habitual lifestyle. That is, they, they become numb to what's right and numb to what is wrong, and they pursue selfish goals, in order, and then they justify their own actions. The psalmist says, do not stand in the way of sinners. It will never give you happiness. And then thirdly, it says, do not sit in the seat of Scoffers. Here the, here the progression is from thinking to behaving to belonging. From walking to standing to sitting. I like how Martin Lloyd-Jones describes it. He says that the scoffers are the people who stick out their tongues at everything that is sacred and holy and sanctified. These are clever people who laugh at religion and joke at it. Who scoff at God, at his law and his ordinances who scoff at all the sanctities of life, marriage and morality and decency, and call it self-expression. They think that they have it all figured out, and they deride and mock those who aren't as enlightened as they. You know, a few years back, there was a young man, about 17 years old. He's been coming to the church for a while with his family. And one Sunday, he came into church... um, with Richard Dawkins' book, The The God Delusion. Richard Dawkins is a fairly famous atheist, and and he wrote this book, The God Delusion. And he carried it in, like a lot of people carry Bibles to church. He carried in The God Delusion. And um, see, he thought, he he came up to me, he showed it to me, and he thought that my faith would be snuffed out if I were but to just read this enlightened book that he had before him. But little did he know, and to, quite to his surprise, I'd already read the book. I'd already highlighted it and dog-eared it and thought it through. And, and what I came to find out is, is there's nothing really spectacular there. A lot of Dawkins' arguments are really just old arguments rehashed from the Enlightenment period. And what you see there is he's just, throughout the book, there's just this sophomoric mockery of Christians and those who, who believe uh, it's a mockery that he's a witty man. He's funny. But really, he only wins over people who he's already won over. Those who are already converted, those who are already sitting in the seat of scoffers are the ones who laugh at those things. But to this young man standing before, before me, uh, Dawkins was king. And, and this witty champion of his, he thought, was undercutting any reason to believe in, in God. The psalmist here is saying, whatever you do, do not take a seat at the scoffer's table because you may never be able to get up. Your life may be full of scoffing for the rest of your life, mocking and ridiculing and making light and making jokes about God and Christ and God's way. All right, so that's the negative instruction. That's verse 1. In verse 2, we see a positive way. It tells us what to embrace. And herein lies the secret of happiness. It's not just what to avoid, but rather it's what we are to take in. We see that the secret of the happy man is seen in verse 2. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, understand, the word delight here does not mean that you have an 
intellectual interest in the Bible. Wow, that's an interesting thing there. I never quite thought of that. Wow, we can parse that verb, and that's quite, that's, that's interesting, you know. Delighting in Scripture is not uh, an intellectual interest in it. We also see that the happy and blessed person does not read the Bible merely because they're afraid of the consequences if they don't do it. Nor do they approach the Bible in a utilitarian sense, that, that they think it will help them, as if it's like a 12-step program. It's a, you just follow these steps and I will be a better person. No, what we see here is they don't approach it in this way. See, the Word of God doesn't just tell us about God or the things that pleases God. No, it turns us to Him. It turns us to Christ. It shows us our need for Him. It causes us to to call out to Him and and to give our lives to Him. And so happy is the man who delights in the Word of God. See, there's a there's a blessedness of, of meditating upon the Word of God. Because in Scripture, God speaks. He literally speaks to us. Scripture is alive. The God who made you, the God who designed you, the God who cares for you, has carefully decided to leave us words for our instruction. He has in, inscripturated His words towards us. You see, there's a blessedness in, in meditating upon Scripture because in Scripture, we've, we've unlocked our story. We, we see the Creator as He's truly displayed. Only in Scripture do we, do we see um, who we are and, and how we need to be transformed through the Gospel. And only in Scripture do you hear words like these. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Only in Scripture do you hear Jesus say, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Or Jesus' words where he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or to hear him say, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, the delight that that scripture gives us as we take it into our lives. See, when we read scripture and we commingle it with faith and the Holy Spirit is at work in our reading of it, it has the effect of producing in us a great awe and a joy and a delight despite our circumstances. That's where happiness is found. Happiness, if it's true happiness, must be something that we experience despite our circumstances, despite the brokenness that is in this world. We see that this produces a great joy within us when we we come to understand uh, this word here, this word, the Hebrew word for meditate is the word hagah. It it, it means to, to like mumble under your breath. It's an onomatopoeia. You guys remember what those are? It's a word that sounds like what it means. Like the word buzz is an onomatopoeia. The word murmur, murmur is an onomatopoeia. So too in the Hebrew language, hagah, hagah. The image here is of someone reading scripture and their mouth is moving, but you can't quite make out what they're saying, but they're so intensely involved in what they're doing. You've done that before, haven't you? Reading something that so captivates you, you read it out loud. The teachers tell you if you read it out loud, you're able to internalize it better. You, you speak it, but you, you know, people around you can't quite pick it up. 
That's what the meditating is here. It's, it's chewing upon the Word of God, um, feeding upon it, taking it in. You know, oftentimes I think, even with these Bible in a Year programs, you've got your, you got your list of things you've got to read each day, and you check them off, and you can get into the routine of just, just reading the Bible just to check it off. Oh, I haven't done my reading today. I got, okay, I read, read, read. All right, I did that. Okay, God, thank you. This is great. All right, happy day ahead. You know, that's how we could approach it, right? You know? That's not what the, the writer is talking about. He's talking about a meditating upon it. That's why we're, that's why we're going to help you with devotionals. You, you get to read scripture, but it's explained to you and allows you to chew on it and pray it into your life. So that's the picture of meditating on the word of God. You, you chew on the word. You roll it around in your head and in your heart, all the while pondering its ramifications for you and for your, for your family, for your, your business, uh, uh, for the world around you, for the neighbors that you love and care for. All these thoughts go through your head and you're, just, you're meditating, you're mumbling, you're murmuring. You're so delighted in what you're hearing. What we also need to see and what we come to understand from our New Testament uh, is that this is really fulfilled in Christ himself. You know, John begins his gospel by saying what? He talks about the Word with a capital W, the, the Greek word logos. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he talks about how everything created was made by this Word. And then we read uh, a little bit further down, and the Word became flesh. Uh, the, word, uh, the word of life, as Peter calls him, the word of life came and dwelt on earth, lived and he died and he rose again. So the word of God, the written word, points us to the word of God, Christ himself. It points us to him because in him and him alone is our happiness to be Found. It causes us to, to ponder uh, our need for a Savior. It causes us to ponder the mercy that Christ has shown us on the cross. It causes us to ponder this new life that he gives us in Jesus Christ. My hope is this, Grace Church, that we would be a church that, that meditates on, on the Word of God, that, that we allow it to, to transform us and to, and to change us, that we wouldn't be a people who are quick to listen to the ways of the world and the, and the shortcuts to happiness, but rather we'd be a people who truly believe that happiness is found in the Word of God as we study the Word of God and meditate upon it. So the Word of God makes us happy because it turns us towards Christ. In verse 3 and 4, we see that the Word of God makes us happy because it makes us like Christ. The first two verses were, were teaching, right? They, they taught us something. In verses 3 and 4, we're given an illustration. We're given a picture of, of two different people. One who has been meditating on the Word and one who isn't. Someone who's been changed by it and one who has, has not. And what we see here is the person who meditates on the word of God, the, the believer, is like what? Is like a tree. While the wicked are like chaff that blows away in the wind. Did you notice that the comparison is not between two types of tree? Like, you got this redwood, that's the really good person. And then, you know, big, tall, giant thing. And then you've got like some scrubby oak tree, you know. That's not the comparison here. Being a Christian isn't about adding something to your life that makes you big and powerful and strong. To be a Christian is, is what we see is the difference between chaff and a tree. 
Chaff is that, is that husk that's around the grain, that when you harvest it, you, you, you get rid of it, you winnow it, and you throw the grain into the air, and the wind blows the chaff away. Chaff is empty, it is lifeless, it has no roots, is incapable of producing anything. But not so the tree. All those who are being transformed by God's word, they are like what? They're like a tree. And not just any tree. The the, the text here says, like a tree planted. The Hebrew word used here speaks of of being transplanted, being moved from one place to the other. Where is it being moved to? By the stream of water. This transplant verb is also in the passive voice, which means you're not doing it. It means it's being done to you. It's being done to the tree. Who's doing the work? Who's doing the transplanting? Who's doing the moving? Well, it's God himself. Christian, you're coming to faith as a work of God. He is the one who picks you up. He's the one who transplants you. He's the one who puts life into his word, uh, his Holy Spirit into your, into your life so that you become something non-chaff. <laughs> I like how Martin Lloyd-Jones, once again, how he describes this. He says, he describes this replanting as the operation of the Holy Spirit. He says, before people can become Christians, they need new life. They need a new nature. We do not become a Christian by deciding to imitate Christ or to follow him or by trying to put the Sermon of the Mount into practice. You may try that, but you will find that you cannot do it. That has been the experience of the greatest saints the world has ever known. What makes us Christian is that God creates us anew. He puts new life into us. He puts a new principle into us. We become new creations, new men, new women. Or as Paul says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. God, by his powerful work, through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, takes you and makes you new, utterly new. As new as the difference between chaff and a, and a fertile tree. And he plants us by streams of water. The word of God has that effect on us. It causes us to, to see not just our need for a Savior, but it causes us to cry out to a Savior. And what it actually does is it transforms us. It gives us new life. We be, where we once were unbelievers, now we are believing. And there's a change in nature that takes place in you. You haven't just, as a Christian, Christians aren't people who just decide to be nicer people. A Christian is someone who's come to realize they can never be nice enough. And we need, we need Christ to do the work. And so when you come to that realization, as you open up Scripture and it points at you and it says you need a Savior, you believe that, and and in that moment the Holy Spirit recreates you anew. I hope we see that this water that we're being planted by Yes, it is the word of God, but really it's none other than Christ himself. You remember, remember the story of the woman at the well? Jesus was, was uh, in Samaria, and there was a, just a sinful, hurting woman uh, who was at the well. She was ostracized by all of her community. She's there, and Jesus asks her for a cup of water, and she gives it to him. And then he says to her, he says, you know what? If you really knew who I was, 
you would ask me for a cup of water, and I would give you a cup of water that takes away your thirst forever. He said to her, Everyone who drinks this water, speaking of the well, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to discern that there's something pretty amazing going on here. And you don't need to be a Bible scholar to to figure out that Jesus isn't talking about physical water and a physical thirst. He's talking about our, 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 our innate hunger and thirst for, for blessedness, for, for happiness. And he says, he, he, he offers to this woman, he says, you must find it in me. And, and in scripture, we come to realize that that offer comes to us. There's a happiness, there's a blessedness, there is a, there is a spring of water that will take away your thirst forever. And it's being offered to you in Jesus Christ. We, we need to see something about this transplanted life that becomes ours now by virtue of faith in Jesus Christ. Here at Grace Church, we often will talk about um, the, the, the reality of the believer is someone who is now in Christ. All throughout the New Testament, you see that in him or in Christ. All kinds of different passages that talk about our new life is not in our old self, but we are now new. We're newly created in him. It tells us that the mystery of the gospel is what? Christ in you. And so this helps us make a proper sense of this tree illustration. See, the the Christian is someone who is a new planting of the Lord. He or she has been transplanted by a fertile stream. But really, here's what we need to figure out. This, This lush, fertile stream is really none other than Christ himself. Christian, you've been planted, yes, the word of God is life-giving, it helps us to live our life, but really the picture we need to see here is is you've been planted in Christ. You've been grafted into him. The old is gone, the new has come. That's the picture that we must see is taking place in Christ. And so the picture of the Christian is that, that Christians are men and women who find their sustenance in Christ, their, their nutriment. They, everything worth living for comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in Christ, there is an endless supply. So we must not come to this conclusion that being a Christian is about being nice and good and moral and decent and a better person than than the next person. The Bible doesn't call you to be a good person. The the Bible tells you that you must be made new. You must be transplanted. You must be a new creation of God through his word, by his Holy Spirit. And he plants us in Christ. And so that's where happiness is found. It's found in him. It's found in Christ. The word of God makes us more and more like Christ as we feed upon it. Unlike chaff, which has no usefulness, there's something about being in Christ. We we are now fruitful. We see that here in this passage. The psalmist says that, that we become like trees by streams of water that yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. You know, when people become Christians, the, the image of God, which was 
which was once defaced in that person, which was more or less destroyed by the fall, it's being restored to them. This means that when God places us in Christ, um, what we've lost in the fall is now given back to us. We're no longer lifeless chaff with a sign over it saying God was once here. (laughs) We're a new creation. So we become like Christ. He's taken up residence in us. Uh, he, he makes us fruitful. We cannot help but be fruitful. This is God's work for us. This is God's gracious work. He is the one who plants us. But we also must recognize that we too, though, must participate, right? The picture here is that we are like trees by that, that soak in the life-giving word. And, and so when we meditate upon Scripture, we're, we're, when we meditate upon it, that's what makes us grow. A tree will, will, a tree's great, but you eventually want it to grow, a uh, tree, unlike wheat, wheat just grows in like, like six months and you cut it down. A tree takes time to grow and, and, and in order to yield our fruit in its season. There's something about being, uh, uh, having the word of God come into our lives on a daily and regular basis. See, when we, when we meditate upon, upon scripture, we, we become more and more reminded of, of just who we are in Jesus Christ. Uh, the more we meditate upon it, the more we want to come alive to Christ who dwells in us. That's why spending regular time in scripture is important. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm regularly in need of, of hearing from God's word. Um, I, I'm a person who's uh, often quick to, to walk away from the from the living water of Christ and make my own cistern. I'm, I'm quick to, at times to listen to the offers of the world around me to, to come and find happiness in other places. I don't know about you, but that, that's just kind of how I am. I'm, I'm still a sinner saved by grace. Uh, like you, I, I struggle to, at times to, to, to really meditate on the word of God, to soak it in. I'm, I'm quick to, I can be quick to go elsewhere. But what we find, though, when we meditate on Scripture is... Um, is that God speaks to us afresh. He, he reminds us just who we are in Jesus Christ. We're reminded that we're dead to the old self and that we've been made alive to the new self. We've been reminded that, that we are to put off the old self and, and to put on the new. This is God's gracious work towards us. And um, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that daily. I need the gospel daily in my life. But there's something about it. when we do meditate upon the Word of God, it makes us more like Christ. So the Word of God makes us happy because it turns us towards Christ and because it makes us like Christ. Now we see that the Word of God makes us happy because it takes us to Christ. You know, the Bible clearly teaches that death is not the end of everything. And so the truly happy, the truly blessed person is one who is ready for it all ready for death and what comes beyond. Just as the Bible tells us that death is sure and certain, it also tells us that we human beings uh, really have a hard time thinking about these things. Uh, our vision of life and eternal life is, is really quite small. You know, many people refuse to even take much time to, to look at life and death and what lies beyond. They'll they will argue against you and they'll say, why are you being such a downer, you know? You, you Christians, you're just so negative, you know? Talking about eternal life and separation from God and, you know, why can't you just enjoy the moment, you know? You never know how long it's going to last, right? 
Well, Scripture teaches us that death is not the end of it all. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves to us that there is an afterlife. Life goes on for eternity. This psalm tells us what Jesus told us. He tells us that that there's a day coming when all of us will stand before God, some to receive everlasting life, some to receive everlasting death. Verse 5 begins with the big word, therefore. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now I know I've said this a number of times, but it bears repeating. Um, If there is a God, and I believe there is, if there is a God, let's get that on the record. (laughs) If there is a God, and he's loving, and he's powerful, well he better judge the wickedness in this world. He better bring punishment to all offenders, right? See, if there is a God, he's powerful and loving, he doesn't do anything about the evil in the world, what kind of God is that? So I think all humanity would agree that there is, if there is a God, and he's powerful and he's loving, he better punish people. The problem is, we just don't want him punishing us, right? We want him to punish the other people who have hurt us in the past and stuff, but not ourselves. We're, we're kind of hopeful. We're hoping that we're hoping that God will not judge us. But the courtroom of heaven is not a place for wishful thinking. It is a place where chaff is forever blown away while the trees are left standing. The word righteous, as in the congregation of the righteous, speaks um, about those who have been found innocent in a court. Interesting, isn't it? The righteous are those who have been found innocent. Here the psalmist is saying that, that, that the, the person who's been made alive by the word of God will, will um, or the sinners rather, the sinners will not stand in the congregation of those who have been acquitted in God's court. Now we know from Jesus that he's the one who brings the acquittal. He's the one who declares us innocent. He takes his, our guilt upon himself on the cross and bears the full weight of that so that we have full righteousness in Jesus Christ. And so if this is you and you are to stand in the heavenly courts, you will stand as the congregation of the righteous. But we need to be reminded this is only by God's grace. This is his gift towards you and his son. And this is the beauty of the word of God. In the end, the word of God takes us to our Savior. That's what verse 6 is about. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The last line says, the way of the wicked will perish. Not only will the wicked perish, but their way will perish. Just as death is an evil invader into God's good creation, so too is the way of the wicked. And just as death itself will one day perish when Christ returns, so too the way of the wicked will one day perish. But not so the way of the righteous. Why? Well, we read, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The word know here isn't so much an intellectual knowledge. The word know here is a Hebrew word, yada. It, it, it speaks of an intimacy, of, of experience. Uh, it denotes a, a personal, relational knowledge. And here the, the, the word is actually a participle, which, which means that it's an active knowing. One commentator writes that God's spirit actively knows, resonates with, 
and is intimately acquainted with the character and the conduct of the righteous. God knows the way of the righteous. Why? Because it's his way. He's known it all of his life. It's the way of goodness and fullness and joy and delight. It's the way of pleasures evermore at God's right hand. God knows this way. It's not going to perish. It will go on for eternity. The way flows from his, his divine character. It, it, it's, uh, it's the way that we were made to enjoy. And it's the way that in Christ we have now been remade so that we may enjoy it forever. Do you know that um, the first Christians weren't called Christians? you know what they were referred to as? Members of the way. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. It is his way. In fact, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who leads us in this way. We belong to this way because Christ has planted us in him, and he is on this way himself. And so now this way is our way, and even when we fail, even when we sin, his way is a way of cleansing and and forgiveness and peace and joy. Someday, perhaps soon, we will be taken into God's presence, into the presence of the one in whom there are pleasures evermore at his right hand. And guess what? For all eternity, you will be free to, to walk, to stand, to sit in his presence. God has given us his word, and the word of God makes us happy, for it turns us towards Christ, and it makes us like Christ, and eventually it will take us to Christ. May the happiness of the Lord be with you in the coming year. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we can call you Father, that you instruct us, that you give life to us, that in your word there is peace and joy and happiness and delight forevermore. That in your son Jesus, the, the risen word, who, who, who's given us new life, um, in him we find perfection. May we be a people who seek not the happiness this world offers. May we know that perfect contentment is only found in Jesus Christ and in his way. May we be a people who meditate and chew upon your words to us that we may find life in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.